Welcome to the Stories of Us. I'm T.J. Phillips, and this podcast is about people from all walks of life, who they are, and how they got where they are today. This is the story of Reggie Burgess, part two, where he came from. I remember my mother, T.J., opened up a shift priority can because she was trying to teach me how to open it, and she would take the knife and open it, and she would put it in the pot, and she had some bread, and she would sit down with my brother and I and feed us and made sure we had everything we needed to have. I never saw my mother eat anything while we were eating. She gave us all, because her whole thing was the survival of my boys. That's the main thing. It's not always easy for a person of color to trace their family history. Instead, many rely on stories handed down by family members. Former North Charleston Police Chief, now candidate for mayor, Reggie Burgess, invited me out to his home off Dorchester Road to share with me the stories he had been told. My great-grandmother, Janie Ellis Green, we call her Mama Janie, but she actually was born in the 1890s. She would tell her family that she actually grew up on the plantation and when she got old enough, she just left and came to the city area. My great-grandmother was probably in her late 20s, 30s, before she settled down with my great-grandfather. They had, I believe, six children. And my grandmother was the oldest, and she was born in 1920. So my grandmother had nine children. My mother was born on a place that no longer exists. It's right at the old Baker Hospital area. It was called Daniel Jenkins Projects. My great-grandmother, who raised nine of her grandchildren, actually moved them from Daniel Jenkins after my mother was born to Union Heights. So my mother did all her growing up, basically, on Union Heights. Her mother had gone to New York. A lot of blacks went up north to, you know, get money and send monies back home to help support the family. So that was the plan. So my, my great-grandmother was a, not, not educated, didn't know how to read nor write. But what she did in her mind, she always believed in working. So she always pushed her grandchildren, and my mother was one of the grandkids, work. And she said one thing that would carry me to this day forever, and I believe I was between 13 and 14 when she passed. She said, manners and respect will take you further than money will. That's what she instilled in her grandkids. Those words, manners and respect, became part of the moral foundation Reggie grew up with. And we'll talk more about that later in the podcast. But first, I had to ask Reggie about something I had heard on the street. He was an adopted child. So my mother grew up on Union Heights, and when she was 17 years old, she knew my biological mother. They were friends. So my mother used to go to my biological mother's house on the weekend to help her clean the house and didn't make a little bit of money. She said, hey, I need you to go with me to the hospital because I think I'm about to have the baby. So my biological mother and my mother went to the hospital. My biological mother wasn't feeling well to come home. But at that time, in the 60s, the baby was healthy. The hospital said, hey, take the baby home. (laughs) So my my mother raised me, 17-year-old, was the only person there. She signed for me. If you look at my birth certificate, her name is on it. All the paperwork was right there. She signed everything, and then she took me home. And I've been with her ever since. And that led to my next question. How does a 17-year-old single mom take care of a baby? It was 1969, and we moved on Georgia Degree Projects. My mother only moved on affordable housing places because she needed a, a solid foundation. She never accepted the welfare. She would work for her money and pay her bills, but she had to be in housing. She needed housing assistance. So what she did was basically work two and three jobs. 
She worked at a place called Southern Trucking, which used to be Nielsen's on the neck area. She worked at the Howell House, which is on Rivers Avenue. And then we would go over to Mount Pleasant and she would clean a doctor's office in his home on the weekends. So my mother had three jobs. And then my brother came in, in the world, like 68, 69. And now she has two children. We were living in the projects in Georgia Green. I remember my mother, TJ, opened up a Chef Priority can because she was trying to teach me how to open it. And she would take the knife and open it. And she put it in the pot and she had some bread. And she would sit down with my brother and I and feed us and make sure we had everything we needed to have. And now looking back, I never saw my mother eat anything while we were eating. She gave us all because her whole thing was the survival of my boys. That's the main thing. She made us look at reality. And reality of her was God is first. And I remember her struggling to pay a bill a couple of times. I remember her struggling to pay an insurance man. I remember her struggling to, to get groceries. And she would always say this, and she says this to this day. I, I was by her house yesterday. God will provide. 57 years ago, I remember hearing that every day of my life, God will provide. And he has. He has done everything for us. So thanks to the faith and hard work of some very strong women, a great-grandmother who left a plantation to settle closer to town, a grandmother who left her family behind to find work up north so she could send money home to take care of them, and a loving and dedicated 17-year-old girl who dropped out of high school to raise her adopted child. Thanks to these women, Reggie Burgess was raised in a safe, loving environment. But you may have noticed Reggie has not mentioned a male presence in his early life. Now, that was about to change. So once we were on George degree, I was going into the first grade, went to, went to Ben Tillman Elementary, went there from first, second and third. Then there was a knock on the door. Now, when you live in the projects and this is daytime back in the day, I'm talking the real projects, only people that came knock on the door like in the morning to the afternoon time, was a mailman delivering mail and an insurance man. And both of those people were white. So I walked to the door. I see, I'm looking at a black man at the door. He had a nice shirt on and he looked neat. He said, how you doing, son? I said, I'm fine. He says, um, you're Reggie? I said, yes, sir. He says, it's Miss Bertha in. I said, yes, sir, she is. He said, can you tell her Mr. Woolley's out here? I said, cool. Now, of course, the screen door was locked because I was a man in the house now. And I was... I was probably in the second grade, I believe. I had my brother, Brian, <laughs> and me. I was the man in the house. Mom always said, you're the man in the house. You got to protect us. So I go back to the kitchen and said, Mom, she said, what's up, son? I said, there's a man at the door. She said, oh, who is he? I said, Mr. Willie. She said, oh, let him in. And I let him in. <laughs> a couple of years, the man kept coming <laughs> to the house. <laughs> he would talk. He would take us, you know, places like to get ice cream, take us out riding around. That's when I started to venture out and start to see Noah Charleston as it is, because he had a car. He actually had a blue Cougar, 1966, I believe. Yes, sir, with primer marks on the side of it. <laughs> yeah, little Bondo little in the back. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and, and man, when, when he came over, I didn't really know him that well, but I love the stuff that he would do with us. He would yeah. take us anywhere. He was an Army veteran that worked at West Vehicle Paper Mill. And he treated my mother so well. And I remember one day I was sitting down watching television because every time we would watch television, he always said, a family needs to be together during family times. 
So he would get me and my brother, Brian, and we're sitting there watching TV. He and my mother sitting on the couch and we all looking at television. We were looking at Hee Haw and the Lawrence Welk show and stuff like that that was on. And Renton 10, we like Renton 10. So we were sitting there watching it and he and my mother was talking, man, Mr. Willie said, I don't think that, um, that Reggie uh, likes me. My mother said, oh yeah, he does, he does. So my mom said, Reggie. I said, yes, ma'am. Always respect now. Mm. Um, yes, ma'am. Do you like Mr. Willie? No, ma'am. And it wasn't that I didn't like him. It was that my mother was my everything. And here I saw attention being taken away from me. So I say that to you, TJ, that when Willie James Jameson came into my life, my life, as you see it, changed. He was a catalyst to positive change, not only in my life, in my whole entire family, because he believed in family. He believed in family more than anything in the world. And he actually got his monies together and got us a condo on Liberty Hill, where he's from. And we lived there for probably two years. Then his mother, my gr- my grandmother, passed away. And the home that he grew up in, that's the home that was built to him. And we moved in that house, and that's where my mother resides to this day. And that's it for another episode of The Stories of Us. If you have questions or comments about the podcast, email storiesofus at tjphillips.com. Until next time, remember, every person has a story to tell if we just take time to listen. The Stories of Us is a production of the Podcast Solutions Network.